Hey, welcome to Every Night's a School Night, number 65, I believe here we are, 65. Coming just a few days after the last one, and uh, it feels right, it feels right to be doing Every Night's a School Night, the pseudo-radio show, although, you know, fuck that, this is a radio show. What makes this a pseudo-radio show? What makes something pseudo? Uh, Just because it's not on the air? Just because it's not live on the air? The dying airwaves. This is radio now. This is radio now. Radio now. Feels good, though. Feels right to be doing this. And particularly because I don't feel great. And it, it's easy to say that. It's easy for me to just to say that right now. And that's kind of why doing this particular show feels good. It feels good because I don't feel great. Radio now. It feels good because I don't feel great. And I say that, you know, just... In a general sense, I've had some physical issues, and I, I hesitate to even say that because, you know, anytime you say anything about your health or you know you broadcast anything, and a lot of people do it these days, they're very public about their health situations. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of like a cry for support, or they're, they're seeking sympathy, and you know, and they deserve it. If you need it, you deserve it. That's their our other slogan. Uh, it feels good because I don't feel great. It feels good because we don't feel great. If you need it, you deserve it. Welcome to Every Night's a School Night, a.k.a. Radio Now. Uh, if you need it, you deserve it. That's a very uh, modern housewife sort of slogan. Follow your bliss. If you need it, you deserve it. I went out today and, you know, I got my nails done and uh, I went to the donut shop and uh, I dug my brand new nails into a bunch of fresh, fluffy donuts. Because I needed them and I deserved it. If you need it, you deserve it. Uh, But no, yeah, I'm not feeling great, like, physically, and I think that just, I bring that up just to say that that plays into how you feel mentally, you know, there's such a strong body-mind connection, and things could always be better, things could always be worse, I don't mean to wallow in anything in particular, and then, and just mentally, I feel like there's just different circumstances that have presented themselves, where I'm just feeling kind of lower than normal, uh, and, and I even hesitate to say that at this point, because uh, there's this idea, like, whenever someone just says that, they're either looking for something, they're look, they, it, there's this idea that they're looking for support or looking for sympathy or they're looking for someone to be like, you're so brave. Oh my God, you have anxiety that you admitted you had anxiety. It's so brave. Like that happened recently with a football player who didn't play in the Eagles game because he apparently was having, you know, an anxious episode and cool, man, whatever, you know, uh, I'm not criticizing him at all but you know there's this response to that where it's like oh he's so brave I don't know there's just a lot of stuff that bothers me (laughs) clearly Uh, but I feel good about people I feel good about you know I I think people are are good I I think people are mostly good Uh, you know you you got to watch them you got to keep an eye on them Uh, but I feel like when they're watched when they're guided properly, that they're mostly good. But doing this show, it's coming up on six years now. I thought it was longer. I thought it was six years last year. I thought last year was the sixth year anniversary of Every Night's a School Night, but I guess it's this year. Oh, our wedding anniversary? I thought it was last year. Our six-year wedding anniversary? I thought it was last year. I thought this was our 20th. 
Isn't that how it works? It jumps from 6 to 20? That's how it feels? Uh, but it uh, doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Uh, but in a couple weeks, yeah, it will be six years of doing this show. Sporadically doing every night's a school night. Obviously, night school has become a virus. It's taken over the airwaves. It's taken over the radio. You can't, you can't you change the channel and it's just night school. You flip the channel. You, you change the dial on your radio. You change it from AM to FM and it's still night school. It's night school everywhere you go. Uh, but yeah, it feels right. Like with the the cold winds coming in the last couple of days, I, I, it gave me a physical sensation that you know was very familiar. I'm just like, oh, it's that, and that's sort of how I feel mentally, where it just feels like a cold wind is sort of swept in, and you know, it's not depression, it's not you know misery, it's just sort of a, a little bit of fatalism. It does remind me of my mindset when I did start doing this show, uh, the every night's a school night show. It reminds me of, you know, why I got into the sort of music I play on this show. It's it's a very familiar feeling. And I just decided, you know, I'm going to, if not enjoy it, I'm going to just embrace it at the very least. I mean, you don't have to enjoy something to embrace it. So I think I'm going to embrace having this, you know, feeling good because I don't feel great sensation. Uh, you know, I could let it, I could really let it level me right now. I could... I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to just let myself get leveled and to be a, you know, a complete fatalistic uh, something. Whatever a fatalistic, whatever the word is for a fatalistic person. A fatalist, that's what it is. I could be a total fatalist right now. I could I can feel that sort of uh, sensation coming on and this isn't me being like Oh, I'm, I'm going to express my emotions. Let me talk about how I feel bad. Uh, even though it probably will just ultimately be that. <laughs> It'll be just a total indulgence. Uh, but let's get down to the music, because I feel like with the, the, the last few episodes I've done of Every Night's a School Night, you know, obviously there's still the focus on the same type of music, did a little variation over the summer, some different type of music, uh, and started incorporating samples in more. Uh, but that kind of gave, it was too much pressure. You know, I'm going to continue to do that under special, you know, in special circumstances if I find good samples. But I found myself looking for samples, which is just another thing I don't need to be wasting time doing, like seeking things out. It kind of reminded me of like 15 years ago, I was at a friend's house and he was showing us this documentary. And this other kind of a friend, mutual mutual acquaintance type guy was there. And he was like he, holding his tape recorder up to the speakers of the TV so that he could sample, you know, bits and pieces of this documentary and his music. And I just remember like my friend and I sitting there and we didn't say anything, but it just felt dirty. It just felt dirty to see somebody like being being Melkor, you know, uh, to reference those episodes. They were essentially being Melkor, you know, it was like doing this very self-serving thing when everybody's just hanging out. And I feel that way by myself sometimes, you know, as a creative person, uh, there are times where I feel very dishonest when I use things for something. And it's not like a lot of my creativity is this sort of like collage, recycling things I come across, but with samples, that's for, for sure. And as much as I think they add a lot to this show, and I really love finding samples, I'm not going to put myself in a position where I'm like 
chasing samples or like trying to find them. And I, I found that the last episode, as much as I wanted to use those samples, I found that just like editing them in and stuff, it, it just added an unnecessary step that I don't want to do every time I do one of these shows. Uh, it's much easier just to let things fly as they are with just talking and music. So here we are. Explanations over. Here we are. Every night's a school night. 65. And the the number of episodes is starting to get into the the bad years. 1965 is when things start to get not so good in doo-wop. In country, they were still good. They were actually very good around that time, the late mid to late 60s. But in doo-wop, that's when things slip. In pop music, that's when things slip. That's when I feel like some of the influences uh, got poisonous. They poisoned the sweet melodies that I seek. And you start to hear them less and less. You start to hear more rock and roll. You start to hear more um, of this kind of like what I would call atonal pop. And I know it's not truly atonal, but the melodies just don't quite have the same beatiness to them. The melodies don't quite bubble in the same way, starting around 65. So the episode number itself is starting to veer into that territory, to those numbers. Fortunately, our episodes don't correspond to years here. And we're going to start out with a, a song from a great year, 1962. And it's by Wayne Toombs. T-O-O-M-B-S. Toombs. Good name. It's not cool enough to be just Toombs as in, you know, a, a crypt, like a T-O-M-B-S. There's an extra O, which makes it kind of goofy looking. Toombs. Two O's, but there's still a B. I'd be curious what the origin of that last name is. Definitely doesn't sound like one that a guy made up for his stage name, at least not at this time in 62. But Wayne Toombs, this is going to be a great song to open with. It's called She Don't Care. She Don't Care. Uh, and that should say it all as far as what the song is about. It turns out he's talking about uh, how she doesn't care about bird watching. She doesn't care about football. That's what it's about. She she don't care about football. No, of course not. Uh, of course it's about something else. And you can guess exactly what it is. But what you might not be able to guess from the song is just the level of quality it offers. Wayne Toombs, She Don't Care. <laughs> Yeah. 
that's a tone setter for sure. A tone setter and a sock knocker. A tone setter and a sock knocker. Radio now. You know, if you need it, you deserve it, and you deserved that song. You did. If you're listening to this show, you deserve a song that good. Very powerful music. Very powerful. She doesn't care. She does now. That'll turn her head. Uh, and I'm going to play a couple uh, other head turners. These are two that have been very close to me for a very long time uh, by a pair of twins. Actual real-life twins. Sometimes groups will call themselves the twin, something twins, and they're not real twins. Sometimes they're not even brothers. Uh, the Calhoun twins, though, were certainly real live twins. Uh, they shared each other's faces. They shared each other's lives. And uh, the first song is Look What You've Done to My Heart. They're more country, but they definitely have some uh, doo-wop sensibilities. They have some pop sensibilities of the era, but there's an undeniable twang, which is, you know, just prime territory for me, for my taste. Uh, the ideal for me is for groups to hit doo-wop-style melodies, but with more of a, a slight twang to it, and not an over-the-top twang. I'm very particular about the type of twang, the type of twang. But the first song, Look What You've Done to My Heart, it's, it's the one that made me a fan of the Calhoun Twins, and it's going to be followed up with Going to the Dogs. And as the song says... Going to the dogs with a bunch of swinging cats. Somebody who's fallen into the party circuit. And in the last night school, I talked about, you know, sometimes when you find yourself part of a community and you don't even realize that you don't even know how you got there, you suddenly find yourself in a social group or in a situation and you're just like, even it could just be one single party. And you're just like, how the, f you have some, this moment of realization where you're like, how the fuck did I get here? And I feel like this song matches with that idea pretty closely. Going to the dogs with a bunch of swinging cats. Uh, it, it's definitely that sort of situation. Like those situations you get in just through partying where you're like, who am I hanging out with? Who am I hanging out with? And as the song says, with cheers we celebrate anything we can. <laughs> I like that. It's highly relatable. With cheers we celebrate anything we can. But an interesting side story about the Calhoun twins is I think they're from Detroit or, you know, Michigan for sure. And they ended up in Florida where one of them owned part of an airstrip that celebrities would use to fly in little private planes. And he also owned one of the one of the plane companies. Uh, you know, he, he would contract out these planes to celebrities and different people, wealthy people to use. And he actually owned the plane and part of the airstrip where Randy Rhodes crashed. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, you know, I'm a, I like Ozzy. I'm a big Black Sabbath fan. I don't know all those. I'm not one of those people who knows all the details of how exactly Randy Rhodes died. But there is a, a Jack Calhoun connection there where he owned the plane, I believe, and had commissioned the, the, uh, pilot who was driving that plane that crashed that Randy Rhodes died in. So that's just a strange sort of music connection to have here. It's not what you'd expect. And I only found that out recently preparing for this show. So uh, I, I'm as impressed by that fact as anybody. I'm like, what the fuck? There's a Randy Rhodes plane crash connection to the Calhoun, to the Calhoun twins. Uh, but, uh, 
why should I be surprised? You know, you'll find crazy connections between all kinds of things everywhere. Uh, but look what you've done to my heart and going to the dogs. Just a good quetch, quetchy, catchy twang uh, here between these twin brothers who, with cheers, will celebrate anything they can. So will I. Oh, 
with a bunch of swinging cats. I'm going to the dogs if there's a party there. The swinging cats will help me lose this feeling of despair. If you should ever take the time to wonder where I'm at, I'll be going to the dogs with a bunch of swinging cats. I'll be going to the dogs with a bunch of swinging cats. I thought you loved me forever. I thought you'd always be true. Yeah, I know that everybody loves it when I sing along to the songs you just heard. The songs you just listened to that were executed uh, so much better than whatever I'm capable of doing in uh, moments where my self-awareness just goes down the drain. I thought you'd love me forever, but then my self-awareness went down the drain. Uh, that sometimes is, is the reason. <laughs> sometimes, you know, people, sometimes a woman does leave a man because his self-awareness went down the drain and he just embarrassed himself. He just embarrassed himself too much. Uh, it's especially bad if he only embarrassed himself in front of her. Like, it's one thing if he does it at a, at a party in front of a bunch of people, in front of a bunch of swinging dogs, a bunch of swinging uh, half pit bull, half wolves. Uh... Go into the half pit bull, half wolves with a bunch of swinging cats. But no, it's one thing if he does it in front of people. But sometimes a man can embarrass himself so badly just in the living room with his girlfriend or wife that she has no choice. She has no choice but to move on. And at that point, it's too late. At that point, it's too late. And this next song is Too Late to Be Lovers by Miss Kathy Brasher, and I'm not adding that Miss in myself. Her stage name was actually Miss Kathy Brasher, and Brasher is a good last name. I mean, it sounds like Brash. It doesn't sound like it. It is Brasher. Uh, Brasher. That's a harsh last name. It's harsh and brash. Miss Kathy Brasher, and adding Miss in front of your name, too, in front of your stage name, is kind of a brash move. It's sassy. It, it gives you some just implied sass, you know. Implied sass is a thing. And her song, Too Late to Be Lovers, you know, her style is about what you'd expect. It's from 64. It's a very strong song, a strong song. And uh, it's called Too Late to Be Lovers, and it's poignant. You know, some people don't handle heartbreak very well. I mean, few people do. If you handle heartbreak well, I don't know. I don't know that it, it's kind of like a, I'd say heartbreak is sort of like a, uh, it's like the uh, the curve in school, in testing. It's like the bell curve where, you know, the person who handles it the best isn't necessarily handling it well. It's just that relative to how poorly some people handle it, the best is, is can you know, relatively well. The best that you can handle heartbreak is relative to the worst that people can handle it. It's the bell curve. The bell curve of heartbreak. If I were a doo-wop singer, that's what the name of my new hit would be. It'd be the bell curve of heartbreak. I feel like I'm onto something there. 
Uh, but it's true because, I mean, you think about how some people handle heartbreak and most people handle it fairly well, I think. I think the fact that, you know, we don't have, you know, some people it's inward. They they just collapse inward. They, you know, think suicidal thoughts or at the very least they're just in a, in a bad place for months, sometimes years. Uh, sometimes, you know, people uh, kill people. I mean, you think about the number of murder-suicides that are the result of some form of heartbreak, and it's insane. It's absolutely insane, but it's consistent, persistent, and it's, and it's just timeless. It's one of those, it's yet another thing that is just inevitably timeless. You know, so much murder-suicide comes from those people who just don't handle heartbreak well. They don't handle it well. They're not at the top of the bell curve, and actually the entire bell curve is based on how poorly those people handle it. But you have to give people credit. I mean, some people handle it very poignantly. Some people know how to channel it productively, and even people who, you know, wallow in it a bit. Some people, you know, they they come back with some very new and interesting observations about life. I would say it's one of those things that when it presents itself to you, yeah, you can get another job. You can, uh, you know, you can make life changes. You can start reading about this. I'm getting really into this new uh, philosophy. I'm getting into the secret. I I decided to read the secret. I decided to join this cult. There's ways that you can force change into your life or even just accept them. Uh, But heartbreak is one of those where that really, you know, puts you on the spot and says, you know, are you going to level up? Are you going to use this opportunity to level up? And some people come out of it with, you know, uh, some very poignant realizations. I feel like this song fits in with that. It's called Too Late to Be Lovers. Uh, But I feel like uh, despite being, you know, a a teener song uh, by someone named Miss Kathy Brasher, Ms. Kathy Brasher, you know, despite that, or maybe because of it, it does achieve uh, some level of poignancy that I appreciate. And it resonates with me personally. Too Late to be Lovers, Miss Kathy Brasher. Too late to be lovers, too late to wear your ring. I found me another boy, and I need the love you bring. Once I wanted you more than anything in this world. But at this time you had another girl. She's left you, so you turn my way. 
we're going to do one here by another lady, but she's a lady named Harvey. Harvey June Van. Kind of a, a strange mouthful. Not too hard to say, but a, a mouthful nonetheless. A mouthful nonetheless. Harvey June Van. And not Miss Harvey June Van. Unlike Miss Kathy Brasher, Harvey June Van just lets her name speak for itself. She, she lets it breathe on its own. There's no need for a Miss Harvey June Van, and I suppose that's because her name is Harvey. How many women have you met named Harvey? But naturally it has an I-E, not an E-Y. So it's Harvey, H-A-R-V-I-E. Because there's that weird thing, with, especially in older times, where women who had uh, names that were guy names, that are typically guy names, if they put an I-E at the end, it feminized it. You see that with Billy, where uh, women who were named Billy, if they used I-E at the end, it was feminized somehow. Uh, you know, not to be confused with Billy the Kid, because I got an I-E. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so Harvey Van, Harvey June Van, I, w- I keep wanting to say Van June, because Harvey June Van, just, it doesn't flow off the tongue very well, but I appreciate it because of that. I appreciate, uh, you know, the fact that she didn't try to make her name, uh, into a song. She just said, this is my name. And for all I know, it's not her name. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know anything about her. And her, her song here is called When You Are Here, and we're going back to 1960 here. When you are here in 1960, uh, and uh, it's when you are here, and as the song says, I have no need of heaven. Yo, when you're here, I got no need of heaven. That's what I say. That's what I say to the girls. I say, when you're here, I got no need for heaven. That transcendental uh, heaven, transcending heaven. Uh, that's, that's the name of the B-side to my other song. I can't even remember the title of it. Uh the, the bell curve of love, what was it? The bell curve of heartbreak. The B-side of the bell curve of heartbreak, which is the A-side and the, and the hit, is uh, <laughs> transcending heaven. Uh, we're getting weird. Uh, the first, you know, the bell curve of heartbreak, we wrote that in 1962, but we wrote transcending heaven in 1965 because there was pressure from the industry to start getting a little weird. You know, uh, rock and roll and, you know, vague poetic lyrics were starting to take hold. But anyway, Harvey June Van, When You Are Here, I Have No Need of Heaven. It's a it's a beautiful song, but it's very austere. To me, it is. It has sort of an austerity to it. Uh, and so here we're going to get austere. We're going to let that wind hit our face. Let that cold wind of Harvey June Van, the austere siren, just let it hit our face right here. Thank you. 
little coffee. Yes, I always pick an extra one for you. Extra Cup of Coffee. And if you just saw that title, you might think it's one of those sort of funny country songs, like those uh, cigarettes and, you know, whatever else. Uh, cigarettes and, and bacon and eggs. Or, you know, there's that whole element of country where they'll just sing about practical things in this sort of tongue-in-cheek way. But as you heard, Extra Cup of Coffee was a pretty miserable tune. First of all, Jimmy Lee Henry sounded like he was melting. He sounded like a melting creature, a man who's just melting. I mean, I like to imagine while recording that he just melted. And the the producer was like, "Did we did we get it on that take? How was that take?" Uh, and they're like, "Well, it, it was good." And it's like, "Well, good because he melted. We don't, we're not going to get another one." He melted while recording that. 
He's just a, you know, and not like a gross sort of, uh, you know, not, not the way you'd expect a human being to actually melt. He melted more like wax, like just wax who's just a bunch of wallowing wax, sad wax. Jimmy Lee Henry, or we, as we call him in the studio, sad wax, sad melting wax. That's what he sounded like, though, and as you heard, Extra Cup of Coffee was about how he makes an extra cup of coffee for his, uh, his lady who's no longer there. That's a sad thing to do. I mean, I've definitely made an extra cup of coffee myself. For a while, I was doing that thing where I would make an extra cup of coffee while I was drinking my first cup of coffee, because that way the second cup of coffee would be cool enough to drink, but immediately after I finished the first one. I was doing that for a while. I'm trying to space out my coffee these days. I just had my second cup of the day, and it was hours after the first one, which is just great for me. It's a lot of progress, although coffee talk is kind of annoying, especially coffee humor. Uh, how there's just that that whole I, I live in you know I grew up in the Seattle area. You know I still live about an hour outside of Seattle, and you know coffee humor is just so pervasive. I mean we see it all, everywhere. There's T-shirts. People have people walk around in T-shirts you know, all over the country with, with shirts that say things like, mommy needs her coffee. Don't talk to me until I get my coffee. Uh, and when people say coffee out here in the Seattle area, even though nobody has any accent, we have TV accents out here. Uh, we have newscaster accents. I'm not going to say it's not an accent because somebody with a different accent is going to be like, you have an accent. I talk normal. I talk normal. Even though nobody on TV talks like me. Uh, but out here, you know, when people say coffee, they do say it coffee. No, it's, they don't. You know, they don't deserve to, is why. You have to earn that. But people do make all these coffee jokes, and I, I just I can't deal with it. So I like that this kind of turns the table. This turns the coffee table upside down. And it's not a, a humorous song about needing coffee or drinking coffee. Uh, it's about, it's it's a sad coffee song. It's coffee misery. It's coffee heartbreak. That's a whole genre I, I don't think I've come across before, is the idea of singing about coffee in a sad and wistful way. Leave it to Jimmy Lee Henry, the melting man. It takes a man made of, mac, made of wax melting in order to sing about coffee in a sad way, and I give him credit for that. And speaking of singing about something in a sad way, here's what I would consider a classic school night song. And I feel like with uh, the six-year anniversary, the 20-year anniversary of Every Night's a School Night, uh, the 21-year anniversary, excuse me, coming up uh, in a couple weeks, I, I do want to start working in more songs that I consider classics of the show. I think it's worth playing some things multiple times. And this is one I'd consider a classic, although I don't think I played it too many years ago. I think it was within the last couple of years. But Little Dicky Chafin, which the joke just writes itself. Little Dicky Chafin, C-H-A-F-F-I-N, Chafin. Fortunately, there's no apostrophe at the end of Chafin, so it's not Chafing. It's just Chafin. But kind of like Miss Kathy Brasher, he felt the need to put a little in front of his name, which again kind of writes the joke by itself. Little Dicky Chafin. A little Dicky Chafin. Now, only some people can get away with calling themselves that, and I think little Dicky Chafin uh, not only gets away with it, I think he's uh, worthy of celebration, 
even though this is a very sad song. It's a unique one. Uh, it's hard for me to really classify it. I mean, it fits in with the whole, you know, poppy, teeny sort of 1950s, 60s sound. Uh, it's also got some twang to it. It's a perfect school night. You know, if I were audacious enough to say there was an every night's a school night genre, if I had the audacity to say that, I would definitely put this song in that category. Uh, but it, you know, has a unique quality, and it's called "Crying Heart," and it's you know, it speaks to misery. It speaks to uh, it really speaks to a crying heart, because uh, that's the name of the song. So I would hope that it achieves what it sets out to to do. I hope it achieves what it sets out to do. Oh, you name your song that? I hope it achieves what it sets out to do. Because we had a guy in here last week, and he he was made of wax, and he fucking melted while singing about an extra cup of coffee for his girl who left him. I hope you can, uh, you, you know, there's a pretty high bar that's been set. The bell curve has been set. I hope you can live up to it. And Dickie Chafin does with Crying Heart. Just a sad, sad song, but... It's inspiring. It, it brings out that fatalistic feeling that I know all too well. And it's worth playing here again with uh, Little Dicky. Like Miss Kathy Brasher, we got Little Dicky Chafin, Crying Heart. <laughs> falsetto in the background. I feel like that's what really brings it all together. I feel like there's a lot of different tones there. I mean, the guitar is very raw. His voice isn't, uh, he's not trying to win any awards with his voice, although he should. 
And then you have this falsetto in the background, which for all I know could be Little Dicky. I mean, I, I think he's certainly capable of that haunting falsetto. And it is sort of haunting. It's, it's strange and haunting. Crying a heart. And uh, I've, you know, he's a very obscure guy, like Little Dicky Chafin, not well known at all, not a, a well known artist from that era or any era. But I did manage to find a promo photo photo of him at one point, uh, and he's got an Indian, uh, you know, a uh, like a band, you know, like you know, like the old cartoon depictions of, of Native Americans or Indians, and where there's just like a band around their head with a feather sticking out, not a headdress, but just the the band with the feather, I guess you'd call it. He's got that on, but he's in a suit holding a guitar, and there, it's not like he's a joke artist. And it's not like he's trying to present himself as native or anything. And, you know, someone could find that mildly offensive. I don't know what they'd really even say. It's too ridiculous to really be offended by, in my opinion. Uh, but it certainly didn't fit with my idea of him. He looked exactly like I expected. Like, his actual appearance is exactly what I pretty much expected from him. Exactly pretty much. Gotta love it when you get loose with language like that. Uh, really pretty, ex exactly much. Um, uh, but he looked at, you know, very close to what I imagined he would look like, but then he had this, you know, band with a feather sticking out. So he's going for something there. He was going for something. I like to imagine he just went around like that. Uh, you know, last week we had the melting guy come in here and this week we got this guy who, who's making really haunting, you know, beautiful music, but he's got a, he's got a, a feather sticking out of the top of his head. At least he didn't melt, because if little Dickie Chafin melted with that feather on his head, you'd just have a pile of wax with a feather sticking out of it, uh, which would be a good way to go. If you're going to melt into a pile of wax, it'd be nice to have, you know, some sort of ornamentation. It'd be nice to have a little decoration on it. Uh, but uh, we're going to do a block here, a full three-song block by a guy named Van Trevor. Not Harvey June Van. This is interesting, because we had Harvey June Van earlier, and her last name is Van, which is not normal. Normally, you know, you see Van, I believe it's uh, with Dutch people, is it, who have Van in the middle? Like, almost all the people who live there have Van in the middle of their names, like Van Buren. Uh, it's a very common thing in, in that area of the world, at least. Uh, but uh, you don't normally see it as the actual, like, last, last name. You don't normally see it as, you know, like, my name's Eric Van. Eric Van what? Just Van. And you definitely don't see it as a first name either. Although there are uh, several artists from this era in particular who used the first name Van, I believe. Sort of like how guys latched on to Dell. You had Dell Shannon, and then that led to a bunch of other artists calling themselves Dell, and, and even groups using that, the Dell somethings was a common uh, sort of a Mad Lib template for doo-wop artist names, the Del Satins, the Del Tones. There's, it was just this weird template for uh, bands, but individuals also used the name Del following the, you know, Del Shannon. But Van, I think, was done to a lesser extent. But this guy, Van Trevor, so, you know, sort of like Harvey June Van, it's a, it's a weird use of Van. I mean, is it short for something? Is a guy named Van, is it a nickname? Like, is his full name Caravan? Caravan Trevor. And the fact that his last name is a first name uh, makes me wonder if maybe Van is like, or maybe it's some sort of, uh, maybe Van is almost like Sir. 
like Sir Trevor, but in some other culture, some other group. It's Van. Van Trevor. And it would actually fit the idea of Sir. I didn't even think of this, but his backing group was called the Saturday Nights. But as you might expect, it's a pun. It's a play on words because Nights is K-N-I-G-H-T-S. You see that a lot, actually. That's another thing you see is, you know, uh, Night spelled that way. And Saturday Nights, you know, I, I... I have mixed reactions to wordplay. If it's very clever or uniquely done, you know, I am a fan, but sometimes, you know, sometimes puns are really annoying too. I'm not one of these people who's just like all, you know, I love all the all the puns that, you know, anybody ever says. I'm just a pun fan. You know, I'm particular. I'm particular. It takes you got to catch me at the right moment with the right pun for me to appreciate it. And this achieved that. The Saturday nights. There's something about that that I like. It might be because I like both night and night. I, I like both spellings. I like N-I-G-H-T. It activates my imagination. And I also like K-N-I-G-H-T. You know, I like that kind of night too. So it helps if I like both of the things that are being played upon. In a pun, maybe. So the Saturday nights. I like that. It's a good name for a backing group. Uh, so maybe Van Trevor, maybe it is some sort of title, Van Trevor and the Saturday Nights. But this is going to be a three-song block. And the first song, it, you know, I think it's the perfect thing to follow up that uh, that last one with, because this takes things down and several more notches. You know, at least Crying Heart was very driving, even though it had this sadness to it. It's a very driving song, but... Uh, Van Trevor, I want to cry, <laughs> you know, speaks for itself. I want to cry. And it's it's just a slow burn of a song. And uh, maybe even a little more of a slow burn than I would typically go for. But I think it achieves something. I, I think it does achieve a, a desire to cry at the very least. It makes you as a listener want to cry. This song is going to make you want to cry. Hey, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Uh, oh man, I can't believe I filled out the entire Madison Square Gardens. I can't believe I can't believe there's there's a hundred thousand people here. I never thought I'd fill out a stadium. Uh, I'm gonna play a song for you. It's called "I Want to Cry," and I hope it makes you want to cry too. Uh, but Van Trevor, I want to cry. Just a slow, sad burn of a song, and it's actually what made me a fan. Uh, a slow, sad burn of a song. And uh, the second song in the block is called Tuesday Girl, and it's a player song. It's an interesting follow-up to such a sad song as I Want to Cry, because Tuesday Girl, uh, as you might guess, it's about a guy who has a girl for each day of the week. It's a player song. It's a, it's a sleazy song, but it's actually another sad one because he talks about how he really had feelings for Tuesday Girl, but he was running around with so many girls. He had a different girl each day of the week, which is just exhausting. Like, what do you, what do you have time for, man? Like, what else are you doing with your life? Uh, and, and because this is the wholesome 50s, wholesome 60s, uh, were you sleeping with them all or were you just going to, you know, make out Cove, make out Lane? Or you just going to the diner and like sticking French fries in a milkshake and laughing, you know what were you doing? Uh, it just sounds exhausting to have a girl for every day of the week. Uh, but Tuesday girl is the girl that he liked the most, and he's sad because uh, you know it didn't pan out, and maybe that's the reason he wants to cry. He was a player, and he he ruined his chances with Tuesday girl. I'm glad it's Tuesday. I like that. Tuesday's a good day. I've always liked Tuesdays. 
you know, because it's not Monday anymore. It's like coffee humor. Monday humor is the same exact thing as coffee humor. But uh, the the last song in the block, it's uh, a different. It has a little bit of a different sound to it. It's called "Satisfaction Is Guaranteed," and of course, a guy who has like a player song like Tuesday Girl, about having a different girl every day of the week. Of course, he's got a song called Satisfaction is Guaranteed. And it's this one's sort of his uh, his seduction song, as you might expect. Hey, hey, baby, satisfaction's guaranteed. Hey, baby, satisfaction's guaranteed. Just ask Tuesday Girl. Ask all the girls. Just ask all the girls about me. Uh, Van Trevor. Ask all the girls about Van Trevor, and they'll tell you satisfaction is guaranteed. Um, but it's got some good guitar. It's got some more upfront guitar, really the complete opposite of I Want to Cry. Uh, Tuesday Girl is a more rocking song too, a more driving song. So not slow burns. We've got one slow burn, two, uh, two quick burns, uh, but it's a good little block here by Van Trevor. But first we've got to cry and then we're going to build back up. We're going to cry then we're going to cry a little bit over a specific girl because we were too much of a player to do right by her. And then we're going to get back to the game. We're going to get back to the street where we're telling the girls what we're all about, which is uh, satisfaction is guaranteed. But first, we just want to cry. Van Trevor, I want to cry. I wish that I could sit right down and cry Cause maybe these blues would go away But it seems that I don't have the right to cry I am too happy That's what they say
I start getting blue thinking how it could have been if I had been true to my Tuesday girl. we could fit that last one into the new uh every night's a school night set of slogans 
satisfaction is guaranteed. That's a very cliche uh, marketing statement. A million companies have used it. But if we pair it with, you know, uh, you know, if you need it, you deserve it. <laughs> satisfaction is guaranteed. And if you need it, you deserve it. Uh, it works out a little better. And I think another slogan would come from I Want to Cry. I think a really great, not just a radio show slogan, but also any kind of company. It doesn't matter if you're a fireplace company. It doesn't matter if you're a furniture company. Uh, this lyric from I Want to Cry is, everybody likes me, but nobody loves me. I would love to see a TV commercial where it's like, come to our furniture store. We're having a sale, on, you know, a Black Friday sale. You know, all the furniture is 50% off. Everybody likes me, but nobody loves me. Just out of nowhere. Uh, the less, less of a segue, the better. You know, the less flow between, like, the sales pitch and that statement, the better. And at the end, it just has the company logo with everybody likes me, but nobody loves me. It would confuse shoppers. It would confuse your uh, target demographic. And we live in an age where confusing your customers is what you want to do. You want to get them on the hook because they'll be thinking about you. It's the new marketing technique. You know, the whole, the whole idea of like pissing people off and it's like, well, at least they're talking about you. That's over. Now that's over. That, that, that's an old, that's, that's, that's old timey at this point. That whole like, uh, you know, well, if you got if your haters are talking about you, at least they're talking about you. And that's good for business. That's over. The new thing is confusion. It's to give them a mixed message that they don't really know how to interpret. And I think nothing is better, you know, in light of those songs I just played than everybody likes me, but nobody loves me. Uh, in fact, just name your company that everybody likes me, but nobody loves me. Great lyric. <laughs> I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, whoa, everybody likes me, but nobody loves me. That's a good opportunity to count your blessings and, and you know, uh, <laughs> be gracious, be like, well, at least people like me, you know, no, maybe nobody loves me, but at least people like me. And, you know, that's, that's something, right? But I do think a lot of people feel that way. I think a lot of people feel liked, but not loved. But how do you even really quantify that? And if it's everybody, if everybody likes you, uh, you know, what are the chances that everybody likes you, but nobody loves you? That seems statistically improbable. Seems statistically improbable that every single person would like you, but not a single one of them would love you. Everybody's just like slightly more than lukewarm. Everybody's just warm, but not too hot. They're just kind of like, well, yeah, I like him. He's a good guy. Uh, there probably are people who feel that way, and maybe there are people who are that. Maybe there are people who are liked by everybody but not loved. Maybe they don't just uh, they don't bring those extremes out of people because you know there is something to be said for that. The idea that you know the kind of person who's going to be passionately loved by people is probably also going to be the person who is hated by another group of people. Uh, but just being liked, you don't make people feel much one way or another. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we're done with that block and we're done with the slogans and we're going to close the episode out here and we're going to play a song by J. Ray Willis, J. Ray. I don't know if those names are short for something. J, uh, J. Ray. So Ray is no doubt Raymond. So maybe it's Jamond Raymond Willis. If he was a kid born in like 1991, his name would be Jamond, uh, but, uh, probably not. J. Ray Willis. 
And this song is called My Old Feelings. It's a good closer for this episode, given, you know, in my mind, I'm like, this is a throwback episode. This is a throwback episode of Every Night's a School Night, the show that has been pretty much universally the same since the beginning. And the only difference between this episode and recent episodes is that there aren't samples. But in my mind, this is a throwback episode. I'm like, oh, it's it's December of 2013, and I, I, I'm, you know, doing the show for the very first time all over again. That's fun. You know, I feel like I'm tapping into that in some way, some form. Uh, but if somebody were to actually listen to this, I think they would think, like, this is the same. Which is a dilemma I run into all the time. You know, the more that I think that I change, or the more that I think that something's different, the more, like, I realize, oh, you know, to somebody else, there's just no change. There's no, uh, there's no measurable change. You've been doing the same thing for for six years, dude, and it's, you know... The same exact thing. I don't know. To me, this is a throwback episode. To me, this episode is tapping into some old feelings. Not in the exact same way, but it's definitely at least touching them. It's it's at least touching old feelings of some kind. Uh, without getting nostalgic or anything like that. It's just, it's something. Uh, and this song is called My Old Feelings. It's, you know, very worthy of closing the episode out with... J. Ray Willis, My Old Feelings, uh, it should do something for you. It should make you feel some sort of feelings, whether they're new, old. I think this will make you think, my feelings. J. Ray Willis, My Old Feelings, yours too.
This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free So take my hand And walk this land with me And walk this lovely land with me Though I am just a man When you are by my side With the help of God I know I can be strong So take my hand And walk this land with me And walk this golden land with me Though I am just a man When you are by my side With the help of God I know I can be strong land our home If I must fight I'll fight to make this land our own Until